All right, like you said, my name is Drew. I'm the student pastor here. I am so grateful to be here uh, and to share God's word with you. It is truly a great honor and privilege to be standing here bringing you God's word. Amen. Yes, and um, we're going to be in Psalm 1 today. So you want to take them there Bibles out and turn them on, or uh, you can flip to the middle of that there Bible and you'll find Psalm, okay? Find the big number one and the little number one, and you're there. All right, Psalm 1. We're going to be there today. As you're turning there, do you all know who Yogi Berra is? Okay, not Yogi the Bear. We're not talking about stealing picnic baskets here. We're talking about Yogi Berra, okay? Um, I'm always kind of nervous to ask questions like that. Do you know blank? Because as a student pastor, I ask that very often, and a lot of my students go, no, and I feel old. They call me old. It's awkward. And yeah, so um, just this past week, I was coaching football, and I was helping the quarterback to, to have a commanding, confident cadence, you know, one that's commanding and confident and deep. And he was having trouble with that. And I said, you got to channel your inner Johnny Cash. And he goes, and I was like, you know who Johnny Cash is, right? And he goes, no, sir. And that's why I'm a student pastor, okay? <laughs> to let the people know about both kinds of music, country and western, okay? But Yogi Berra, all right, he was a catcher for 19 seasons for the Yankees. He even coached for the Yankees, got them all the way to the World Series and lost, got fired the year after. That's awkward, all right? But uh, he is from St. Louis, born in 1925. And Yogi Berra is really a man after my own heart. If you've been around me for any amount of time, you know that I love one-liners, even if they don't make sense. Okay? And Yogi Berra coined some, some one-liners that, that are later called yogiisms. Right? Let me share some with you here. Always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't go to yours. A nickel just ain't worth a dime anymore. 90% of baseball is mental, the other half is physical. You see how things don't really add up here? My favorite one that he says is, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. Now, this is going to pair well with what Pastor Jay was talking about last week. That doesn't make sense, right? Because we have to choose a direction. When you come to the fork in the road, you have to choose left or right, okay? You have to choose. So I've entitled this, this message today called Two Ways to Live. Two Ways to Live. So let's read Psalm 1 together. As we read, let's see if you can pick up the two ways to live. It'll also be on the, on the screen up here. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruits in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does... He prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word and as we try to find out what it means and what it means for our life today, I pray, Lord, that your spirit will be with us. Lord, in this room, in our hearts right now, 
Father, I pray that you would illuminate to us the meaning of this text. I pray, Lord, that you will draw us to obedience, Lord, that we can be changed even today as we read your word and read your scripture. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So right away, we're introduced to the way of the righteous. First point here, the way of the righteous. We're introduced to the blessed man. Now we've got to do a little bit of homework here, okay, and see what it, the Bible means by blessed. Okay? David is not talking about taking a picture of your family and posting it on Instagram and saying hashtag blessed. Okay? Most of you know what hashtags are. If you don't look it up, it's great. Okay? Hashtag blessed, right? It's not just having possessions. It's not just having a, a happy family. Being blessed is more than that. It is a complete, holistic idea, a way of life. It is to be supremely satisfied. Listen, it is to be supremely happy. Pay attention here. It is to be wholly fulfilled. Wholly fulfilled. God is telling us here that if you choose the way of the blessed man, you will be supremely satisfied and wholly fulfilled. Sometimes explaining what something is is better to do in the way of explaining what it is not. Okay, and that's what David is is doing here. He says, The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the path or way of sinners, nor does he sit, uh, sit in the seat of scoffers. Say that ten times fast. You see, supreme joy is only found in the counsel of the Lord and his word. Amen. Are you easily swayed by the world? Where do you seek your guidance when problems arise? Is it from a, a group chat or a Facebook group? or people of like-minded people, or, or your, your friends? Or do you run to God's word and commune with God and his spirit for him to illuminate truth in your life? That is what David is getting at here. The blessed man doesn't run to the world. He runs to God. He runs to a person. The blessed man runs to Jesus. I'm going to say something pretty intense, but I do believe this, and I think we all should. And if you're having trouble getting to this point, I pray that you get there. That all of life's problems are solved through the Bible. Every life problem through mental illness, through pandemics, through family struggles, through dysfunctionality, everything is solved through God's word. Do you believe that? Do you live like it? Because this is the blessed man. He hears the counsel of God and he obeys it. And he runs to it. We're also told that the blessed man doesn't stand in the way or the path of sinners. Listen, the way that you're traveling might have a lot of traffic, but that doesn't mean you're going in the right direction. Okay? Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Just because it seems right or you have a peace about it does not mean it's the right way. For us to know that the right way is blessed and will make us supremely happy, it has to line up with what Scripture is saying. Y'all believe that? Great. This is so important for us. 
we have to develop and cultivate a skill, really, to decipher and discern what is of God and what is of man. What is from God and what is from man. This discernment is extremely valuable as ideas from your heart and ideas from the world come to the forefront of your mind and start nibbling away at your theology and what you know about God. Because listen, what you know to be true about God affects the way you live for God. So the more truth that we know about God will affect and change the way that we live for God. That's why it's so important for us to dig deep into the scriptures, not to just read them as a bedtime story, but to understand who God is and what he is saying to us as we read and who he is through the scriptures. We're also told that the blessed man does not sit in the seat of scoffers. You see, sin, although enticing, is a downward spiral. You see it here, don't you? That first we're just listening to the world, we're just taking advice from the world. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we're walking in the same path as the world. And then we come to a spot that we are so callous and insensitive to God's spirit that we sit in the seat and scoff at those who live righteously. That is the downward spiral of sin. That's why it is so important for you and for me that when we see sin in our lives, we kill it. We flee from it. We cling to Christ. We trust him with everything we have because sin will eat you alive. Amen. That's not very popular, but I'm telling you it's true. All right? Now, the blessed man doesn't just avoid things. The blessed man also pursues things. And we're told here that the blessed man, his delight, where is it found? Where is it found? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates there day and night. Is your delight in God's word? You might say yes. Do you make it your right hand, your best companion, and your hourly guide? Is that what God's word is to you? Or is it just something that you read when you go to church? Or does it actually compel you does it lead you, take you by the hand and walk you through this life that is ever-changing and unpredictable? The only thing predictable in this life is that God will be true. Perhaps the reason you've lost supreme fulfillment in this life is, is that your delight has been placed on objects that were never meant to give you supreme fulfilling, right? Now, these objects might sound good at first, Things like family, your job, even your best friend, even your spouse. Things that, you know, for us to love is not bad. But when that takes the place of Christ in your heart, issues will arise. And this is what Psalm 1 is telling you here. If you go against the way God has designed your life to be, things will get sideways. And the blessed man who is supremely fulfilled and wholly satisfied in Jesus, walks with him and delights in him. Your children, they might be cute, but they will disobey. Your politician, they might pass a law in your favor, but they will fail you. Your spouse might love you, but they will fail you. 
What, who will not fail you? It is Jesus. And that is who we wholly satisfy, who we are wholly satisfied in. My daughter, Jovi, just turned two years old in May, all right? Uh, she is hilarious. I love her so much. And uh, if you guys have had kids, you guys remember this, that just like every, every couple weeks when they are that age, like there's like a new thing that's so fun and exciting, right? And her new thing right now, literally just days old, her new thing is she goes, Daddy, 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 over and over again. And she goes, watch, watch, watch. She's saying, watch, watch me. And what is she telling me to watch her do? Well, we just got a trampoline for the house, okay? It's like a little small trampoline with a bar on it. She can hold it and jump around, all right? It's like her pride and joy. And as soon as she wakes up, she wants to jump on that trampoline, and she wants to make sure that I'm watching her. She says, Daddy, 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 watch. And as she gets two inches off the ground, I'm like, great job. That is so cool, Jovi. You know, you, you're excited for her because... Because this is the way that our relationship with our Father works. That our Father is fully satisfied in us when we are fully satisfied in Him. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And in that moment, Jovi is most satisfied in me when I am proud of her. And I am proud of what she's doing. And she takes supreme joy in that. At, at the end of each point here, I'm going to give you some application points, okay? And uh, you're going to want to write these down because uh, I'm going to call for community group leaders to talk about this this week, okay? Um, so what you need to take home as far as application is this. I want you to search your own heart. I'm talking your heart, not your neighbor's and not America's heart, okay? Search your heart for ways that you are not finding supreme happiness in God, Another way you could say that is search for ways that you are finding happiness in other areas than God. Talk about that this week in your community groups. Next, the way of the righteous produces lasting fruit. The way of the righteous produces lasting fruit. This is Psalm 1-3. Listen here and look at your Bibles at verse 3. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. God has chosen to plant you purposefully. You are not a wildflower that has come about by accident, but God has chosen by his ordaining work to save you. And he doesn't just stop there. I tell my students this all the time. God is not content in just saving you. His love continues for you. That he doesn't just stop at salvation, but he intends to make you like Jesus. This is the process of God turning you into Jesus. That he saves you. And your roots are in his word. And you will produce fruit and you will become more like Jesus. This fruit is not just, is not just stapled on your branches. It is lasting. It does not wither. But you might say, what happens if I'm in a really tough circumstance? Which I think we can be honest. If you're not in one now, you will be. Amen. 
and you, if you haven't, you will be. Amen. Right? We are, we are all struggling in this fallen world. So let's turn real quickly to Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. It's also going to be on yonder screen up there. Okay, so Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. What I'm about to read has been one of the most influential passages for my life. I hope it is for you too. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 says this. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Does this sound familiar? Whose hearts turn away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We're introduced to two kind of plants in this uh, passage here, okay? The first is a shrub in the desert that is, that is not connected to a water source, and it's going to be in an uninhabited salt land. Useless, right? And then we're, we're, we're told that there's another tree planted by water that sends out its roots to a stream, and it doesn't fear when heat hits it or when drought comes because it is connected to the stream of grace. You and me do not have to fear what is coming tomorrow. You and I, if we are planted in the streams of God's grace, we fully live out of that grace. And therefore, we are free to produce fruit and live for Christ, to be wholly changed, to be wholly satisfied in what Christ has done for us. Amen. This is so important. Think about it this way. I know talking about baseball is kind of sad right now because I'm kind of pessimistic about it. And just, ugh, I, just, I just want it to happen, but a lot of things are going on, okay? But think about a professional baseball player, all right? Imagine if Matt Carpenter, who is now the DH of the Cardinal baseball team, which that happened, uh, didn't get that memo, but now we have a DH, okay? And uh, imagine if Matt Carpenter, if he only ate cheeseburgers, he had three Cokes for every meal, he had a Snickers, he laid on the couch, he did nothing to train his body. Would he perform well? Some of you are saying, well, maybe that's why he's not performing well, okay? <laughs> But that is the, the reality. A professional athlete's fruit is directly correlated to his nutrients, to, to his training, okay? And this wisdom here from Psalm 1 is pointing to that, that God's design is for us to be rooted in the gospel. We are to be rooted in the grace of Jesus. If you are not rooted in the grace of Jesus, listen to me, you will find yourself constantly misguided, discontent, impatient, unloving. Listen, the list goes on and on. But the blessed man roots himself firmly in God's word and lives out of the grace to produce lasting fruit that does not wither. Amen. 
So another application point. Remember, I told you to write these down, okay? Because you're going to talk about them. Sink your roots in the gospel and God's word to draw spiritual nutrients. Don't go run into self-help books. Don't go run into a podcast. Some of you are like, what is that? I'll tell you later. <laughs> Don't go run into your best friend. Run to God's word. All those things are fine. But I'm telling you, if you're just running to those things and neglecting the God, just like we sang, who knows what to do, well, that don't make much sense. Okay, we are to run to Christ and sink our roots in the gospel. Amen. Point three, we're moving right along here. Great job, everybody. The way of the wicked will lead to destruction. This is the fun part. The way of the wicked will lead to destruction. That was sarcasm. Psalm 1, 4 through 5. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Once again, let's do some groundwork here. When the Bible talks about wickedness, talks about wickedness, what is it, what is it talking about here? Is it talking about the worst people in all of our mankind? We usually, when we think about wickedness, we, we hold up some historical figures, right? You're thinking of people in your mind that have done some horrible things in mankind. So we kind of think that the wicked is for those who, who have done those things. But let me point to you Psalm 17, 13 through 15. That's also going to be on the screen. Psalm 17, 13 through 15. Here and notice, if you can see what the wicked man is like. Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword, from men with your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, and whose belly you fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with their children and leave their abundance to their babies. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Did you hear it? Verse 14, the wicked are those who have their portion in this life. The wicked are those who live for this life. That kind of changes things, don't it? That kind of changes things. We see the wicked, they live for this life. And the righteous, what does he do? He beholds God's face in righteousness and is satisfied with his likeness when he awakes. The wicked are like chaff. They're worthless, dead, unserviceable, without substance. They're, they're easily carried away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Because of their decision to live for this, the wicked will find themselves failing on the day of judgment and will not find a seat reserved for them in the congregation of God's eternal kingdom. At the beginning of this coronavirus pandemic, as many of you probably have, my wife and I had to make a big decision. What show were we gonna watch? This was a giant decision for us. And I, perhaps you guys have made the same thing. And I like action. 
and she likes chick flicks, okay? So what are we gonna do, okay? We searched high and low and we landed on Survivor. Um, some of you were like, Survivor is still on? Yes, it is. Season 40 just happened, all right? And here's the whole goal of Survivor. You have to understand, this whole goal of Survivor is you're, you're marooned on an island. It's the greatest social experiment in all of history, Jeff Prof says. You're marooned on an island and you are with complete strangers and you have to make it to day 39, the last day, and you are handed a check for a million dollars. But throughout those 39 days, you are taken to tribal councils and you are voted on by the tribe to see who gets voted out. So you have to make it to day 39. Along these days, they have immunity challenges. Okay, these immunity challenges basically keep you safe from being voted out, okay? You are safe from being voted out if you win these challenges. Some of these immunity challenges last so long. They're long, sometimes up to hours. And all these survivors, their main goal, remember, is they are focused on day 39. They are focused on the end. They are focused on winning. They are focused on receiving the million dollars. But during these challenges, they're tired, they're exhausted, they're hungry. They might be holding their arm up for three hours next to a bucket of water, and if it falls, the water falls on them, but they'll be up there for hours. Jeff Probst will walk around, and he will tempt them with hot dogs, milk and cookies, with a jar of peanut butter, beer and wings, with pizza, and he will tempt them. And you know what? It never fails. Every time Jeff Probst does that, someone immediately jumps off and they say, I want the pizza. I want the jar of peanut butter, which sounds disgusting, but they eat it up. <laughs> and in that moment, although their goal is day 39, they are easily enticed and they are easily going after the instant gratification of the peanut butter or the pizza. And this is what me and you have got to avoid. Amen. We are a representation of our eternal destination. Yes, you and me, we are a glimpse of what heaven will look like. Amen. We do not walk in the way of the wicked. But let me tell you, the way of the wicked, just as we talked about, is not reserved for non-Christians. Do you hear that? This ain't for your neighbor who don't know Christ. This is for you. Because although you're saved, there is still remaining sin in your heart. And I would venture, in your life and in mine, there are ways that I am still living for this life instead of the next. Do you see that? That Christ, in his word, is begging us to live for the kingdom of God. Don't live for this world. It's okay to have things. It's okay to have a family and take a picture of them and post it. But how firm, listen to me, how firm is your grip on the things of this world? Do you hold them close to your chest? God, you can't have that. You can't have that possession. You can't have my family. You can't have this. You can't have that. How firm do you have it? So another application for you. I want you to think about in your heart, in what ways are you living for this world? 
Think deeply on this and talk about this in community groups. Think deeply about this. I guarantee in my life and yours, there are ways that you are still living for this world. And God tells us to flee from that because it will lead to destruction. In what ways are you living for this world? Repent and cling to Christ. Well, finally here as I conclude, verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You don't have to put your hand up. I'm not asking for that. I want you to answer in your own heart. Who here has taken counsel of the world? Who amongst us has been in the path of sinners? Have any of you failed to delight in God's word? Have you failed to produce fruit when you know the Spirit is guiding you to produce fruit? I would bet today you have been guilty of that. Maybe even this hour. I have too. So what does this mean for us? If we, if, if we are guilty of one, we are guilty of all. Amen. What does this mean? How, how can we be with Christ forever in God's eternal kingdom if we can't even be righteous for one hour? So, in Psalm 1, who is this man? Who is this man that lives so perfectly? Some of you are kind of getting to my spoiler here, but listen, everyone has failed over and over again. So what does this mean for us? How do we obtain this righteousness? How do we avoid the judgment of an angry God who looks at us and says, your sin offends me? We are rebels against God. We are at war with him. It is by faith that you and I are reconciled to an angry, loving God. It is by faith that you and I are linked to the righteousness of Christ. How do you obtain this righteousness? It is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, repenting and turning away from your sin, and wholly trusting and being fully satisfied in what Christ has done for you. Christ, who knew no sin, became sin, that we might obtain his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 So when we cry out and turn from our sins and put our faith in Jesus, a remarkable supernatural phenomenon takes place. The righteousness of Jesus is put in you. God no longer sees the sin of Drew. Instead, he sees the righteousness of Christ in Drew. Listen, God is not impressed with what you've done for him. Amen. You can't go to God on the day of judgment and say, look at all the money I gave. Look at all the nice things I said. God is not impressed with you. Do you know that? God is only impressed in one thing, and that's his son, Jesus. Amen. For God to be impressed with us, we have to say, he is the one you're delighted in, and I have faith in him. I don't have faith in me or this world. I have faith in Jesus. And God promises us that when your faith is in Jesus, you are forgiven. And not only forgiven, but you are free to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching to the masses. And the last things he's talking about you imagine the last things he's talking about must be pretty important, right? He's talking about two ways to live. Listen here. For wide is the gate 
and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only few will find it. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 7, 17 through 19. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is not talking about the storms of life, guys. This is talking about judgment day. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew against and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Matthew seven twenty four through 27. One way. God is telling you that there are two ways to live. You cannot be in the middle. Amen. You are either for God or against God. Amen. Jesus says that there is one way to live. John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So listen, the Bible is clearly talking about there are two ways to live. Christian, non-Christian, the question is for you, which way are you living today? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your guidance. Lord, I pray even now as your spirit continues to mold our hearts that you would do a work and do business in our hearts today. As we go in our community groups and as we worship in our houses, as we have conversations at the dinner table, as we pray with spouses, as we pray with families, Father, I pray that your spirit would be at work through the reading of your word. And may you bless the preaching of your word today. Amen. Please stand with us. Okay.